My name is Omer, and you're tuning in to a Patreon-exclusive segment of Oats for Breakfast. In this segment, I'm going to continue the discussion I was having with Monica Mason and Mayurin Sivalingam. Welcome back to Oats for Breakfast, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so um, in the last segment we were talking, uh, and you guys were saying that there was, you know, that the Global North has a responsibility to make sure that not only do we should we be reducing our own emissions, but making sure that that we help countries in the global south continue to develop economically as they as they also try to reduce their emissions. Um, and you guys, I think you you did raise the one issue of of refugees, of of having uh, better refugee policies, better uh, immigration policies. So how are you going to bring people on board to the idea of giving my money away? I don't know. Is that the right-wing talking point? I'm not sure. I'm just trying to pose this as a, a bit of a challenge. I thought this was an eco-socialist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, you know, testing out, testing out what it is you guys have for me here. Um, I, yeah, I would say something that Climate Justice Toronto really emphasizes in its organizing. And, you know, I really have to give props to everyone that we organize with. They're so amazing. And they really bring a lot of that side of migrant justice. So, again, um, a lot of the, one of the, the calls in the strike was for justice for migrants and refugees. Um, and if we think about, like, the future and what's going to happen and the people who are affected, it's the global south. And it's a huge amount of people and it's really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently I was talking to someone who works in a food bank and they were saying that people there uh, who are largely white and largely right wing and who come to the food bank have been blaming um, immigrants for not having enough food. And this is, we already have enough food in Canada, right? Like, this is food that we throw away. Um, and we're already seeing this kind of attitude, this right-wing attitude of blaming migrants um, mm-hmm. and immigrants and refugees for for scarcity. And that's only going to get worse when we have the climate crisis that's going to happen. Um, I think part of, to answer this part of your question, uh, Bernie's Green New Deal has something yeah. like part of its reduction, 30% of its reduction comes from paying for emissions reductions initiatives in the global south. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he wants to push money to developing countries and make sure that they're able to put forth new green technologies, new green businesses, and make sure that they're also, because it is a global issue, right? If we just deal with it in Canada here, we don't live in a silo, right? If we're the only ones committing to the uh, IPCC accords or the Paris Climate Accords, if we're the only ones doing it, it's not like climate change is going to ignore us and then affect just the rest of the world. It's a, it's a global, it's a collective issue that everybody needs to be a part of. And I think, like Monica mentioned, Bernie's plan, make sure that they're able to help those countries that right now may not be able to afford or put forth the policies that is required because they're not economically feasible in those countries. So other countries need to help out, especially countries like Canada, US, UK, Australia, countries that have been the major contributors to emissions. I would also add that Canada has a huge mining sector and we're really contributing to displacement of people elsewhere. Like Mm -hmm. I think 71% of the world's mining corporations, this is another fact that I'm making up LOL, but um, (laughs) (laughs) like a huge amount of mining is headquartered in Canada and we're, you know, especially in Central America, all these other places, Africa as well, like we're really contributing Mm -hmm. to some horrible stuff. So, And also regarding the migrant stuff, we need to make sure that migrant justice is addressed 
but also for people when thinking, oh, everyone's going to migrate to migrate up north. If that does happen, that is going to happen, and we need to make sure that there is justice for people that are migrating. But imagine if we helped the global south and made sure that there is infrastructure in place and there's jobs in place where there isn't as much of a need to leave as there currently is. Then those countries can prosper, and there wouldn't be quote unquote migrant crisis as there is. It would be a bit more mitigated. And even when it is happening, we're able to address it in a ethical way, right? So the the right to leave or the right right of movement needs to be paired with the right to stay. Exactly. Right. I want to put another point to you, which is often raised. You know, people will say, "Well, you know, what about China? China's now the biggest emitter. We're not even really responsible anymore, are we?" Well, even though China's number one, it's not like we're number fifty. We're still in the top ten, top twenty of emitters, and yeah, it's important to look at now. But it's also important to look at historically who's been the biggest emitters, and we've by far been the biggest emitters. So that means we still have a bigger responsibility to help out the rest of the world. And also, China—the reason they're even not to excuse them, but the reason them and India are even. At the state that they're at now is because they had to compete with the levels that these other countries have been producing. That's not to excuse China, and that's not to say that they have no part to play in、uh, reducing emissions globally. It's just to say you can't just excuse our role in it and just put it all on China when we've had a bigger role historically to play than China ever has. Yeah, I've heard this argument a lot from people who are kind of xenophobic. And if you approach them and you're talking about climate change, they'll often say, "Well, tell that to China and India and whatever."、Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's really problematic.、Um, and then also, like, this is something that historically China did not contribute to, and you did not contribute to. Developing countries have been rated for their raw materials by imperialist Western Europe for centuries, right? And that contributed to. Industrialization and the climate crisis that we're in now,、um, and then also I would say that China per capita again has much lower emissions than Canada, which actually、mm-hmm. has one of the highest per capita emissions.、Um, and then also they're doing they're doing a lot to to move towards renewable energy at a huge, massive scale that is actually far bigger than anything that we are doing currently. And same thing with India. I think India is actually on track to hit its renewable energy targets under the Paris Agreement. So. Um, you know, as they develop, they're actually leapfrogging the step of fossil fuels to some extent. Obviously, they're also building a lot of coal. They're building a lot of coal. <laughs> it's I think it's a scale. If the rate is actually you know minuscule, but the scale is so big, and that's what makes it happen. But I just I hate that argument. I think it's so xenophobic. I think it discounts、mm-hmm. what we have going on here. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I, on a per capita basis, of course, places like the U.S. and Canada, and Western Europe are of course far worse. And then the other part of it. Is that a lot of the emissions that China is responsible for? Those are there because of the manufacturing that takes place there for of things that we then import, right?、Uh, so、yeah. we, we of course have to account for the offshoring of these, those emissions.、Um, okay, so I, I was also wondering to change the discussion a little bit to go on a little bit more personal. So you guys are a little bit younger than I am. And I mean, I'm not that old, <laughs> but it'd be interesting for me to hear, and I, I'm sure for our listeners to hear about how did you guys get interested in climate change 
in the environment and more generally, you know, how did you become politicized? Uh, I feel like whenever I'm asked this question, my story changes because I'm still trying to figure out where it's where it started. I think for me, it had a lot to do with just consuming a lot of news and seeing all the injustices that were happening around the world. And I think seeing that people were standing up. And so there was a Black Lives, La- Black Lives Matter movement. And then there was the uh, migrant facilities in the U.S. And I think that was the tipping point where I was like, I have to do something. And so for me, it was noticing that there were all of these injustices, right? And I didn't know. So I'm like, okay, I have to pick one. I had to somehow be a part of dismantling one, just being somehow doing some sort of action. And then I've, of course, then AOC came along and then there was a Green New Deal, which I learned about and found how there are ways to tackle all of these issues at once. And so I was trying to find somewhere in Toronto that was pushing for this sort of action, more of a holistic approach instead of just one individual social justice issue, a way of taking action on all of them at once. And so honestly, it was just one day I was just following a bunch of climate groups on Instagram, on Facebook, and then I ran across Climate Justice Toronto on Instagram and they posted that they were having a meeting on a Thursday, I believe. And so I thought, all right, I tried to get some of my friends to go along with me just because I was afraid to go by myself, but none of them really wanted to tag along. But I just went anyways. And then, yeah, hearing them talk, everyone that's part of Climate Justice Toronto at that point and now, everyone's very welcoming and warm. And you didn't need to know a lot. You didn't even need to know that much. You just, you just had to have like a will to want to be an activist and change the current system and because of that everyone was just nice and it was just you were just able to help with whatever little knowledge you knew and in your own way there are there were ways to be part of that movement so i guess that's how i got uh involved that's your origin story that's my origin story yeah (laughs) That's so cute. <laughs> Instagram organizing works. Um, yeah. This is how youth are getting involved, I think, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I obviously started in high school and I was like doing the recycling thing. Like, let's make our school a recycler and stuff like that. Um, but then I did a degree in environmental studies and it was all like cap and trade, carbon tax, cap and trade. And just, uh, just honestly, being in the environmental movement like drove me nuts. Just a lot of the rhetoric is just so strange and it's really inaccessible and it's the same kind of person. And so like I tried to get involved in movements before and I actually did get involved in divestment, which I think is a great way of university students getting more radicalized and involved in climate justice. Um, and so from there, I think that's how I got involved in climate justice Toronto as well. Yeah. But I will add, during my university degree, we only talked about cap and trade and carbon tax, um, and we never talked about a Green New Deal. So I'm still learning so much more, and it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like just um, a focus on very specific policy prescriptions, right? And that's one of the ways, I guess, that, that once again, like climate change and environmental issues more generally are sort of they're depoliticized, right? Like we're told, oh, the people who know how to make policies, they're, you know, the technocrats, they can handle it. You know, 
It's mm-hmm. not about politics. It's just about policy. So, okay, that's that's interesting. I, you know, the one thing though is this Instagram thing. Now, I do feel really. I, I'm not. I'm just in my early 30s, and I'm relatively technologically savvy. But the this Instagram thing, I don't understand. <laughs> uh, what part? <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, I think I've logged on. It's like I've gone onto the website, and it's just photographs, right? Yeah, essentially, yeah. So how do you become politicized through that? Through Instagram. Like, what? How does that work? I would say that okay for me, I wouldn't say that I necessarily got radicalized by Instagram. It was more of the news that I was. Uh, consuming Mm -hmm. and then instagram was a great way for me to find a way to i guess channel find how can i channel what i know in a more activist sort of way so i followed all these different groups and i was able to see what they were doing and if something stood out to me for example climate justice toronto stood out to me personally and i was able to before it would be really hard to find out okay i want to do these things i want to help but where do I go? How do I help? I think there's a lot of people in that position and tools like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah, there are their downsides, but if you're, I think if you're using it right, it can be a great tool to allow people to get in instead of feeling isolated and feeling like, I don't know how to partake in activism. It's, that's how I was able to I guess, get involved. It allowed me more access to activism work. Whereas before I wouldn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we at Climate Justice Toronto, we really wanted to distinguish ourselves from other climate groups that are a lot older in the city by making sure that we had a really great social media presence. And we have a huge uh, digital communications team that works mm-hmm. on our Instagram and creates original art and photos. And, you know, we make sure we go live and we use our stories a lot and it drives engagement that way, especially for youth because we're youth focused. And then uh, there was this other story of like teens organizing on TikTok which I think is amazing and hilarious. And what like, is TikTok? Oh my God. <laughs> That's even beyond me. <laughs> um, I, yeah, so I think TikTok is like, it's kind of like Vine. It's like Vine 2.0. It's like you can make uh, little videos of you dancing to music and stuff. But I know that there's a lot of like high school organizing happening on TikTok. And then uh, also Students Say No, the high school group that did the walkouts is really active on Instagram as well. So yeah. So yeah, the high school organizing, I, I did learn that, that a lot of that was driven by the Instagram following that students say no mm-hmm. had. That was actually when I tried to figure out what Instagram is. Um, and it was just like, yeah, them, them posting photos and then writing some commentary on the side, right? Is that it? Like that's... I, f- I feel like it's a lot of, it's hard to for a lot of people to look at news articles or go on websites that provide news and try to read all that instagram is a nice easy way to sort of concisely put that into a digestible manner and for i think a lot of kids because they're so used to being on their phones and going on social media it's a great way to i guess get to them Mm -hmm. where news articles can't right because they're already on social media why not put the news on social media in a more bite-sized digestible way yeah, I guess. 
I think if we're also talking like like the right wing, the alt right is totally online. They're based on A yeah. Chan. They have like this meme culture that is completely wild, and yeah. you know. And so they've had that for a long time. And to have, if we're going to start organizing and using social media, there's this like beautiful world of like nihilistic Gen Z memes and memers, and you know what I mean. There's a whole culture there too mm-hmm. that has to be explored and, and built up and stuff. So. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think yeah, the left needs to be doing a much better job of having an online presence, not only to combat the alt right presence that's there, but also to you know to actually mm-hmm. um, to develop our own outreach capacities. Um, yeah, and it's it's hard because things online change really quickly, and like I said, I'm not that old, but whenever I log on to one of these new social media platforms. One of the things that happens is my, I can just feel my cortisol levels (laughs) (laughs) just rising. (laughs) Just gets kind of stressful. You know, there's just too much information. And and that's part of why this podcast doesn't have a very good social media presence. (laughs) We're going to get you Instagram after this. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah, actually, well, help me out. So how would an Instagram for a podcast work? Um, So I know that our, our our digicoms team is like really into this and what they do to drive engagement is they'll make a nice little post right a visually appealing post and then after we all try and comment on it immediately so the mm-hmm. algorithm pushes it to the top and boosts mm-hmm. it and that's something that students you know is doing as well for oh, sure oh wow yeah so you guys are like just gaming the system yeah, <laughs> yeah. gaming the algorithm yeah. usually they hire people in like india <laughs> to go right. and like give up votes, right? That's what what happens on Reddit. Oh man, oh no? man. Isn't that how isn't that like the controversy on Reddit where it's like these posts get pushed to the front page? Are you guys do you guys use Reddit? I, I have in the past, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've yeah. used in the past, but not like uh, enough to comment on it necessarily. So Reddit isn't a place where the young up and coming people are going, eh? That's where old people like me are. Oh no! No, no. <laughs> no. no Honestly, okay. I don't. I don't even know how to use Twitter. No. I'm. I just stick to Instagram. So okay, I'm almost on the same page. Uh, okay. So yeah, I'll get your help then on the Instagram thing. I have to figure <laughs> out. What about YouTube? Uh, I mean, you, YouTube is a bit different, right? It's a, right. You can have long form kind of political engagement there. So personally, in terms of the news that I took in, mm-hmm. it was a lot of it was on YouTube and a lot of it was uh, digital media more than, I guess, print or TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, one place that I went for a lot of my news was the Young Turks, which they've been online for a long time. And a lot of, I think because I grew up just watching a lot of TV, it was an easy way to get information because you're just watching the news instead of uh, reading it, I guess. And you're on YouTube anyways, right? So why not get, learn something mm-hmm. while you're on it? And I think that goes to, with Instagram too. You're on Instagram. People are on Instagram anyways. So if you're putting your stuff on Instagram, people are going to see it. Yeah, like just just knowing people who are like in my personal life who, you know, TBH, full disclosure here, might go in HN or something like that and have this experience of like connecting with people online really intensely. Wait, what was that you said? <laughs> <laughs> like I definitely know, like I, there's quite a few, like I think if you're a young man right now, like you're engaging in some kind of online culture that's mm-hmm. like uh, 
like kind of politicizing you in a certain way. Um, and so to see like people like ContraPoints or yeah. whatever, making really engaging, beautiful left wing sort of commentary yeah. on YouTube is amazing. And it's something we need more of for sure. Yeah. So for our listeners who don't know, maybe, maybe there are people who don't know, like who is ContraPoints or what is, con like, I mean, that's a YouTube channel, right? Yeah, so ContraPoints is um, a trans woman who makes leftist YouTube videos that are really like visually beautiful um, and creative. And they, uh, I think she used to be a philosophy student as well. So she, and she used to, you know, use the internet in a way that, um, so she's aware of internet culture. And so she has a really great starting video on incels, which I think is mm -hmm. one of her biggest videos where she just uh, dissects like incel culture and, uh, the kinds of people who are drawn to it. And she draws parallels to um, sort of trans self-hate forums on the internet and how both of them are really forums for people who are struggling and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a really it's a really interesting um, look at it. And, it, and she kind of disarms things in a really clever way. Like she calls uh, Jordan Peterson daddy, which I think is just so funny. Like <laughs> yeah. just adding She's a little bit of humor. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I haven't watched a lot, but from what I have seen, I feel like she does a great job of, uh, so there's, for example, news stations like the Young Turks who are talking to people who are already, who are already on your ship pretty mm -hmm. much. And ContraPoints, I feel like does a great job of not, I guess, minimizing and making people that are on the other side, quote unquote, she's does a great job of bringing them to our side by sort of taking certain topics and breaking them down to their fundamental levels and showing why I guess they're either wrong or how it got to that point. And she does a great job of sort of making you see why certain right-wing talking points, for example, they how it got to that point. And if she's not saying if you believe it, you're stupid. She's pretty much saying if you believe it, this is why you believe it. These, for example, the Koch brothers put a lot of money into funding uh, people that push these talking points and you probably went on HN or you went on whatever and now you heard this and now they're taking advantage of your insecurities, your whatevers, and now you've believed this. And I feel like she's done a good job in a lot of her videos of deconstructing that and sort of showing the left-wing point of it and getting people along. Yeah, I mean, and I was really impressed when I finally discovered, like I'm always behind on these things, but when I discovered ContraPoints and I looked at some of her videos and like how many people were watching them, I think she has a video titled What's Wrong with Capitalism or something like this. Mm -hmm. And it has more than a million views. Um, so that really shows that obviously there's a huge potential for left-wing commentary and, and forums like YouTube are a good place to host this kind of commentary. Mm -hmm. Just one thing I want to mention as well is like, I feel like, I don't know about you, um, if you feel this as well, but I feel like our spaces are very gendered in a way, like being in a in a social justice movement right now is heavily kind of femme often. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the alt-right is heavily, heavily male-dominated, and we see a lot of the ramifications of that, right, that are really problematic and awful. Um, and I wonder if uh, something that's happening is the way that um, people who are getting into this stuff online then grow up with it and maybe yeah i just i noticed there's a gender dynamic dynamic there as well so that's an interesting way to i think i definitely agree with what monica's saying just 
by going to meetings and just being part of activism in general, it it's driven by mostly women and there are men there, but it's not as, I guess, prevalent. And when you look on the other side of the more far right wing uh, uh, beliefs, a lot of it is driven almost exclusively by men. Mm-hmm. And so I, I definitely think there's more to it than what I'm going to say, but I think it has a lot to do with how the way that uh, activism has is perceived as sort of this weak thing to do, which obviously it shouldn't be. But I think the right has done a really good job of making it seem like social. Like for example, they have they've made fun of the term social justice warrior, mm-hmm. and it's social justice, which is a good thing, and you're a warrior. But all somehow that's supposed to make you weak. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think they're taking advantage of a lot of uh, insecurities that men have and a lot of young men have. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of weaponizing their insecurities by saying it's not your fault. It's X, Y and Z's fault. And they're able to bring them in in a very toxic way. Right. It's and feminism's fault. It's feminism. Like yeah. It's not your fault. That Whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's feminism's fault. It's women's fault. It's immigrants fault. It's colored people's fault. But do are we should we be telling them it's their fault? No, but, but this is what I think ContraPoints does a great job of, where yeah. she doesn't say it's your fault. She's saying these people that are making you think that it's women's fault, they're doing this because of X, Y, and Z. She does a really good job of deconstructing how people are getting radicalized, and it and she speaks in a very like approachable, nor- normal way. She talks to you like you're a kid that's tr- going through some stuff, right? And if you feel a certain way, if you feel left out and you feel lonely, she's, I think she does a good job of, she brings people to the left in a way that's, uh, doesn't make you feel, I guess, stupid for believing something that you believed in the past. In, an, in a nice, like, ex- accessible way, right? Yeah, for sure. Because I think the left has historically been really bad at being accessible. Totally. You go to like a socialist meeting, you're like, oh, I'm curious. And they're like, well, like Karl Marx said this. And, and you know, they're like <laughs> yeah. quoting stuff at you and you're like, ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a lot of that. <laughs> uh, Which is, I think, honestly, <laughs> why Climate Justice Toronto was great. They don't make you feel stupid. You can come from any sort of background and you're totally, you don't feel like you're behind on anything. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of potential, I think, as well on the left, right? It's just like we need we need humor, we need you know, mm-hmm. accessible media. We need memes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I yeah. So I guess part of thinking about that is why we decided to put together this podcast. So hopefully we're making some kind of a contribution and we continue to develop it. And yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so for much. sure. And thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah. To help. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to this Patreon-exclusive segment of Oats for Breakfast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.